Friends, before we move into just one announcement and into the message, I wanted to spend just a few minutes addressing a very important issue uh, in our nation. And I want to start out by reading a scripture that one of my friends and pastoral mentors, Kevin Butcher, and I have been talking about. Uh, and he reminds us that this verse here from Colossians uh, chapter 3, this verse is a huge piece of the gospel, of the good news that Jesus came to bring to us. It reads here in Christ, there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, there's no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. He was writing to a group of people that had all these divisions while they were trying to figure out how to follow Jesus together and it was baffling, it was confusing and he wipes out all the divisions. Christ is all and in all because those divisions have no place in the body of Christ. And our elder team met on Tuesday night, and we spent some of our time focused on an area of injustice and had an important conversation, and we wanted to make sure we agreed, and we wanted to make sure that we weren't silent about this. I mean, just think of it this way. Uh, what if there was something that happened, and it was important to a group of people that you were a part of, something big, it was a front-burner issue for you, but maybe the rest of your community who didn't look like you or weren't maybe even from the same place as you, I just kind of blew it off and ignored it. And um, what message would that send? And honestly, for me last week, um, this was on my mind and on my heart. And for various reasons, I needed to wait to talk about this and to see what our elders also uh, wanted to to do, but I, I felt bad, I was kind of sick to my stomach when I left and I hadn't acknowledged this. And so when I then read a statement by our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, that addressed this area of injustice, and, and then a couple days later when I was on a phone call, a, a video call with some pastor groups that I'm in that are from all over the country, and one of my brothers in that group who's a pastor and he is a uh, an African-American man, he talked very simply and honestly about the realities of what his life is like. No anger, bitterness, no resentment, just this is the way it is. And then one of my mentors, Kevin Butcher, recorded a podcast on race that uh, for some reason um, not a lot of people listen to because I think maybe we shy away from this. I knew that we needed to bring this up. And so I want to read part of a statement that the Evangelical Covenant Church put out a couple weeks ago. And this statement, like many in the Bible, is actually a lament. And here, here it is. It's a lament and a prayer. It's, O oh Lord, we come before your throne in excruciating pain and immense sorrow. We Cry out, echoing the psalmist, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And like the psalmist, we are outraged by racial violence. We are overwhelmed by the frequency with which it is displayed in our country. And Lord, our prayer is, Lord... <laughs> Many within the body of Christ and within our covenant family are haunted by what can feel like your silence amid unspeakable tragedy. And Lord, we petition you to console our brokenhearted sisters and brothers, drawing them near to you. 
May you, God, restore their souls by making your presence felt and your love concretely known. Together we lament that the murder of Ahmaud Arbery on February 23rd is the latest of too many young, unarmed African-American men whose lives have been needlessly cut short by senseless violence. Lord, we are weary of the frequency of these deaths. While there may be many unanswered questions regarding the details of this case, we do not need to know all the details in order to weep with those who are weeping and to mourn with a family who is mourning. God, we know our hearts need to be broken by the injustices of sin. We need to sit with the weight of despair before rushing to action. Lament, confession, repentance, these are spiritual practices that will reorient and sustain us amidst tragedy. These practices will lead us into the presence of God and help us discern what faithfulness looks like going forward. So God, today we find ourselves in a time where we must speak the truth to point out the sin of racism plaguing our nation and commit ourselves to uprooting it. But God, we know we are incapable of ending racism and transforming callous hearts in our own strength. So we ask that the Holy Spirit would come, guide, direct, and empower us. I thank you that our family, our church family, the Evangelical Covenant Church, is committed to overcoming fear, hatred, and violence with the cross-centered love of Christ. May the entire world know that we are Christ's followers because of our sacrificial love for one another. So God, we put our trust in you, knowing that you are sovereign. Even when we cannot see or feel your presence, we know you are the one who will bring life out of death and that not only you are able, but that you will in time, oh God, heal our land. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, friends of hope, for joining me in this. Uh, And as we seek to follow Jesus into everything that he calls us to as his disciples, even stretching in areas that might not be as comfortable, um, but we will trust that he will lead us into the beauty of this gospel that Jesus proclaimed. All right, let's pray as we jump into the message for this morning. Father, I invite your presence. Jesus, I ask you for peace in the middle of any storms that we are encountering as a people right now. Any place in our life, God, where there is anxiety that is pressing and pushing at us. Jesus, even right now, through your words, will you do something supernatural? And God, it has to be through your power because the words that I speak are powerless unless you come and empower them in our lives and in our hearts. We love you, Jesus. We want to follow you. We give ourselves and our attention to you to speak to us because we are listening. Our hearts are open in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, our series right now is called Fear Not, Finding Peace in an Anxious World. And when I started this series, it was my intention to focus on one of my favorite passages in the New Testament uh, from Philippians chapter 4. And I touched on it the first week or two. 
But then I just got really fascinated with that James 1 passage that we've been focused on and we camped out there for a few weeks. But this week, I want to begin by reading these six verses from Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to start with verse number 4. Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, in prayer and petition, by and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all, all understanding, will guard your hearts and guide, guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Paul says to this church, he says to them, put those things into practice, put it into practice, and listen to this last line, and the God of peace will be with you. What a great passage. I mean, this is one of my all-time favorite passages. And some of you may want to read this passage every day. Let it get planted in your heart. And right away, I notice in the beginning of that passage that, that Paul points us to these two commands. Um, he says to rejoice always. And then he says to be anxious for nothing. And in between those first two commands and the way that it's said in the Greek is that these are like commands, like he's really serious about this, people. Um, in between those first two commands, he has this statement, the Lord is near. And, you know, I think of that and I think, you know, the virus may be near, but the Lord is nearer. Sickness may be near, but the Lord is nearer. Recession may be near, but the Lord is nearer. Anxiety may be near, but the Lord is nearer. Job loss may be near, but the Lord is nearer. Insanity from homeschooling your kids may be near, but summer break is coming. I mean, I mean the, the Lord, right? The Lord. Even in that, the Lord is nearer. See, friends, we can't quarantine Jesus. They can't do it, right? Nobody can. They tried it once with threw a rock in front of a big cave tomb, but it didn't hold because Jesus is the Lord, and the Lord is near. And I just want to draw back for a moment and remind us of something. Just take a larger perspective. Friends, the virus is going away, right? At some point, we hope sooner than later, but at some point it will fade. And economic cycles, the booms, the busts, uh, recessions, prosperity, look at the timeline of life and history. They come and go but friends, whether they are here or not, God never changes. This verse, this phrase, the Lord is near, really is an invitation for us to get our hopes up. See, because in times of stress or fear, we get our hopes up, and, and we might actually read these next verses, these words of the Apostle Paul, um, where he says that we don't have to worry about anything, but in Everything seems like a stretch. Everything, everything. So when worried thoughts come like they do for all of us in everything, use those things as a little reminder to his next phrase, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
Let me pause there for a moment. Are you feeling anxious today? Well, tell God about it. Your worries, your fears, your anxieties, get it out in the open. Pray, petition, ask, and allow thanksgiving, um, gratitude to turn your focus from your anxious thoughts to things that you can be grateful for. And then it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. I love this phrase, right? That means this is the kind of peace that doesn't make any sense for you or I to have. Like, we can't comprehend it because by the standard of this world, they would say that we should be anxious because things are actually really bad right now. But it defies comprehension because it's from God. It says, but peace from God, which surpasses all comprehension, will come, will guard your heart, will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Besides me, like, who could use that kind of peace right now? Any of you would like to live free of anxiety? And we hear, do not be anxious about anything? Like, is that really even possible? Well, we believe that the words of Scripture are true. They're not just cliches or pipe dreams. And so, yes, actually, God says, the Bible teaches that you and I can grow, it's not automatic, that we grow, we are transformed into that kind of a life where we could live that way. But friends, listen, even if you're not feeling it yet, um, and don't worry about that, right? Don't worry about anything. Don't even worry that you're not feeling it yet. Um, If you're a worrier and some well-meaning Christian tells you, oh, don't worry, listen, don't worry about how much you worry, right? (laughs) John Arberg says, nobody ever worried their way out of worrying too much, okay? So, like, don't worry, just be as you are, come as you are, don't beat yourself up, don't live in shame, But just begin to develop a picture, a vision that there might be more for us. There's more available than we maybe are living in right now. And in the next verse that we read, Paul does one, uh, he gives this one incredibly concrete command. Again, it's another command in the way that's written in the Greek. In fact, um, honestly, you and I have probably ignored this next verse, this command, maybe more than any other verse in the Bible, even though... Upon looking at it, I realized that ignoring this next verse, the command here has horrific consequences um, because ignoring Paul's next instruction in the passage, it actually prevents us from entering into the condition of joy and the condition of peace and the condition of, of love. And the crazy thing is when, when I put these, when uh, Noah puts the words up on the screen in just a second, you're going to see this command and you'll go, I'd love to obey that, right? This is a great idea. In fact, let's get started on this right now, okay? So here's the command. Uh, it doesn't seem like a hard one. It seems like an invitation to me. Think about these words. Paul writes, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, if anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Like, doesn't that just seem like such an obviously good idea? Think on these things, right? You're feeling anxiety? Think on these things, right? Why, why wouldn't we want to do that? I mean, first of all, like, if I think of the alternative, if I don't think on those things, and I think about things that make me feel instead the opposite, inadequate. If I think about things that make me feel unloved, unable, unhappy, ungrateful, small-minded, dissatisfied, scared, or self-centered... 
What happens when my mind gets pulled to those things and I get fixed on that kind of stuff, what do you imagine I might start to be feeling more of the time, most of the time, maybe all of the time, if I'm focused on that? Not so good. Yet the truth is, often that's where our minds just tend to drift and even lock onto. Not onto the invitation of thinking on the beautiful things that God invites us. And so when Paul says, think on these things, it's because he knows that the primary way you and I experience life and reality always, always, always is through thinking, like it's through our minds. So if my mind is fixed on fear, anxiety, and self-protection, my life's going to look, look a certain way. If that's where my mind is fixed, my life will look a certain way. But if I think on, if I fix my mind on what is true, right, good, lovely, honorable, excellent, my life will look quite another way. But here's, here's the thing, friends. Most of you who've been around church very long at all, uh, you've seen these passages, you've seen these verses, you've probably heard a sermon on this. And yet, honestly, do we really know that many Christians who are not anxious about anything? Like, I don't, and I know a lot of Christians. I know a lot of pastors. Same goes true, right? See, I don't know many people who don't struggle with this, not if they're honest anyways. And it's a strange thing because I know that fixing my mind on good things, like I know that's the right thing to do, but I often don't do that. Even though we know we're not supposed to be anxious for anything, even though we've heard sermons and we've memorized the verses, most of us honestly deal with some degree of anxiety, especially when we enter into stressful seasons like the one we're all in as a country right now. So we know the verses, we have the information, but it's not enough, is it? It's not enough. See, we need more than information. If information was enough, we could just read the verse, pray, wrap this up now, right? Like, I read you the truth, now you know the information, and we all just go into our week full of peace, free of anxiety. Thank you, Jesus, life is all new. But information, right, alone, doesn't lead to transformation, See, we need something more if we're going to actually live in the peace that God promises here. It's not just about trying really hard to believe it. Because I, for one, I would love to live in more peace and less anxiety. I mean, the season we are in has been very stressful for me. And I know it's been stressful for a lot of people. But um, just one example. I felt myself often drawn to uh, a soothing agent. Um, that some of you might know about. Um, we call it comfort food, right? Like, I want food that will bring peace to my soul, right? I don't know about you. I don't know what yours is. Um, you could even turn to the person you're watching with and, and tell them what your comfort food is. But I, I kind of have a rotation of comfort food. I do something for a while, and then I stop and I switch, right? But I kind of lock in. So sometimes it's ice cream and sorbet. Uh, sometimes it's chocolate. Sometimes, uh, for some reason, it's Chex Mix. And I will have... Enormous bags of Chex Mix here at the office, at home, the whole deal, right? There's just a rotation of comfort food and what works for me, right? And, and I kid you not, I could eat these things all day long as my steady diet if the scale didn't scream at me the way it does, right? And that kind of shifts me away. But most recently, my comfort food was the dark chocolate sea salt caramels that they sell at Costco, right? Anybody? Yes, amen. Like, at the start of the pandemic, we'd go to Costco, 
And I happened to be on this like two month no processed sugar diet, um, so I couldn't eat them, right? But I, there were so many of them there, I thought, oh, they'll be there, right? Eventually they'll be there. And so I'd walk past this display while everybody's looking for toilet paper and hand sanitizer, and the caramels would just call to me, right? They'd call to me, Doug, hoard me. Forget toilet paper and hand sanitizer, hoard me. And by the time I took a break from my diet and I could buy some, would you not guess, right? They were gone. <laughs> they, were, they were gone. I'm about to cry right now. Listen, <laughs> it's no fun to be without your comfort food, right? They were out. They're gone. There's no more in stock. I think I've checked three Costco's. I'll just be honest with you. They're gone. <sighs> but the truth is, I know and you know that what we actually need is not comfort food. Like, it actually kind of sounds ridiculous to say it out loud, because when I say it, it makes no sense. Comfort food? Really? That's going to bring me comfort? But saying it out loud actually reminds me of what I really do need. It reminds me that there is a real comfort and peace available that doesn't come from chocolate or sweets or from nicotine or from a bottle or from a chemical. Real, actual Comfort doesn't come from sex or porn or unhealthy relationships. Real, lasting comfort doesn't come even from financial security or the right job or a big house or the right education at the right school and the right degree or a fancy car. According to this gospel that we embrace and believe, real comfort comes from fixing our minds on whatever is true. Whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about, fix our mind on these things. It's, it's a centering of our life and our mind and our desires on Jesus, who's representative of every one of those things on that list right there. Again, friends, right? We know the verse. We have the information. We've got the how-to right there. But yet, most of us have not truly put this into practice, and we've not yet really been transformed to live a life without anxiety. Which is why Paul tells them in this next verse, verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, if we get the slide up on this one, it'd be awesome. Uh, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. See, all the information that they have learned, Paul tells them to put it into what? Practice. Because in practicing what they've learned, they move from information to practice, and that results in experiencing, he says, the peace of God more of the time. It's going to actually be with them. They practice it, and look at this, the peace of God will be with you. And I think of uh, ropes course. If you've ever been on a ropes course, if you've ever been around one, if you've ever even seen one, um, like we used to, I've done a number of, of uh, camps with, uh, with a men's group out of Colorado that uses these young life camps that are amazing. Um, and there's a, a ropes course up in, in, in Flagstaff, which is amazing. Uh, it's really, really, really cool. But well, they take you up in the air. I don't know. It's like 20 or 30 feet off the ground, maybe higher. It seems way higher. And the ropes course has several sections. One part, by the way, is called um, 
it's a giant swing, like from way up high. It's a huge swing that they call <clears throat> the screamer. If you were here, I'd be like, any guesses, right, why they call it the screamer, right? Um, uh, I keep thinking they need to offer, like, depends to those of us before we get on this thing, right? Just saying, okay. But these Young Life camps and this place called the Adventure, uh, what is it in Flagstaff, the uh, Extreme Adventure Course, um, Benny Albright, Brad Thompson, Heidi and I went about a year and a half ago to that one. Maybe it was a little more than that. But, but when you go to one of these places, before they let you go up on the ropes course, you get a little lecture, right? There's a teaching element before you get to go on the ropes course where we get some information. And it's good information, it's important information, it's vital information. And what the staff does is they tell us how strong the harnesses are and how the ropes that we're attached to could support tons of weight. And these carabiners that we're clipped in with, they are just about in indestructible. And they say all of this by way of saying that up there on the ropes course, you are safe, right? You have no reason to worry when you're up there. They'll tell you you're in more danger when you're in your car driving home than you are up on the ropes. And they say, I know it's not going to feel like that at first, but that's the truth. You're safe. You're clipped in. It's all good. Now, everybody hears the same lecture. We get the same information. And here's what's interesting. Nobody's like disputed the facts. We all nod our heads. We believe what they say about our being safe. We all do. But when people get up on the ropes, even with the information, we don't actually believe that we're safe, right? Like our armpits don't believe they're safe. <laughs> like our, our sweat glands apparently don't believe that we're safe. Um, I think of the verse in John 7 where Jesus said, out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water. Yeah, well, I think, you know, whatever is flowing out of your belly when you get ready to actually do the ropes course, not actually rivers of living water, it's rivers of something else, right? But there's this stream of involuntary thoughts that just kind of race through your mind, and, and there's this flow, it's kind of an instinct, and, and mine sounds something like this, it sounds something like, uh, whoa, wait a minute, here I am, I'm up here, and like, this is way too high, this is not safe, I'm going to fall, I could, I could get really hurt, or I could die, what was I thinking to get up on this thing? And when our minds go there, these minds have not been changed We've gotten information, but we've not been renewed. Because on one level, when we're sitting on the ground, before we go up, everybody knows that we're safe up there. The information was true. It was good. But here's the deal. It hasn't been experienced yet. It hasn't been practiced. So here's what happens. The first time you go up on the ropes course, you get up there, and you are scared to death. But if you then go a second time, you're afraid, but maybe a little less afraid. Do it a third time, you're afraid, but maybe even less afraid than the second time, and so on and so on. See, when we put the information that we were given into practice, that's where it's at. We take the information, we actually live it out, we trust it, we live it, we practice it. And what's interesting is when you're at a place like this extreme adventure course in Flagstaff or at one of these camps, what's really kind of fun is to look at the staff like, they've been around on the ropes hundreds of times, like, all summer long. And because they've put themselves through this experience again and again and again and again and have experienced being safe again and again and again and again, what happens is, miracle of miracles, their automatic ingrained thoughts have changed. 
I mean, their stomachs and armpits have become convinced that life on the ropes is a perfectly safe place to be. See, their minds have been, through practice, their minds have been renewed. Their anxiety level drops. They have experienced the information, and they are now living it out as true and real. Now, um, I want you to look back at a passage in Scripture that illustrates this just as clearly as I know how to illustrate it. It's from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And some say that this is the core text for spiritual formation in the New Testament. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, he's saying, in light of the wonderful person that God is, Like if you're thoroughly now convinced and experienced his competence, his goodness. He says, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And the way that the language is used here, it's clear that it's not something we do ourselves. that God does the transformation. We're partners in it, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So even the part of saying that it's your mind is in there, that there is a role that your body plays. Your mind actually gets renewed. There's transformation of our whole being available. And again, it's done by God, but of course you're a part of it. You get to partner with him in practicing what he invites you into. Now let me just quickly say, and I wish I could talk about this longer, but um, I got about 15 minutes to go and this would add a lot more than that. You, um, this is not, this kind of practicing is not about earning your salvation, okay? This is not about proving something or proving to God even about how serious you are about your faith. No, no, listen, friends, God takes us as we are. So the truth is, you could be a Christian and never grow and still be miserable. That's your call. But there's so much more available. Like, why would we want to live like that? See, he invites us into something more, into transformation, John Orper pointed this out once. He said, on a ropes course, (laughs) the staff offers their bodies kind of like this living sacrifices thing from this verse here. They put their bodies on the ropes time and time again, and ultimately their minds are renewed. They become transformed. And how does that happen? See, they've practiced over and over and over. And this thing that at first seemed impossibly frightful is eventually calm, peaceful, and maybe even anxiety-free, their practice has led to transformation. When we think back to the Philippians 4 verse that says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition. And I wonder when I look at that verse, what would happen if I actually practiced that? Like when anxiety comes or worry starts to build, I stop, I pray, I petition, I ask God, um, I give thanks, I make my request to God. Like, if that becomes my reflexive habit, normal for me, what do you think would happen to my anxiety levels if I put into practice what Paul is teaching us here? Actually, I've been making that a specific practice on a frequent basis ever since the pandemic started, and I'm not 100%. It's not even my goal My goal is that when I notice anxiety rise, I am more of the time, not all the time, but more of the time I'm learning to stop, to pray, to practice gratitude and give thanks, to ask God for what I need, to make my request, and very slowly, I believe this is helping me stay calmer, more grounded. 
Now those around me are like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine you <laughs> without it because uh, I don't know that calm and grounded is always the way we experience you. But um, yeah, it would be much different, probably much worse. But friends, not all of the time, but more of the time, when I live this way, when I practice this, I can live in peace. I don't get yanked around by major bouts of anxiety, which is a really big deal for me because there are times in my life where I have wrestled with anxiety big time where I could feel my face and my body just flush and tight and tense and on high alert from the moment I woke up in the morning. Sometimes as uh, preachers, people say to us, wow, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you get up in front of people and talk and, and write sermons and then get out there and try to do this. And, and honestly, um, when I first started doing this, I was scared to death. Like, I was nervous. I mean, I was talking to youth groups of, you know, very small groups, and I was still petrified, so nervous to speak. It was very stressful, but over time, over practice... I still maybe get nervous from time to time, but as I've gone you know, out on the ropes in our metaphor probably a thousand times now, I notice I haven't died yet. <laughs> and so my fear has in many ways been transformed because I can look back now at the practice and see, oh, God showed up. He, he spoke something through me that someone needed to hear. And so if we practice things and we see, wow, it's, it's going well, I'm gonna be okay. Um, it actually can lead to some change, to ch some transformation. All right, I'm going to ask you guys to hang with me. I have something I was going to skip, but I'm going to include this. All right, here we go. Um, I hope this is going to be really helpful for some of us. Uh, let me start it this way. Benny Albright and I, we went in a backpacking overnighter this week in Aravipa Canyon, uh, and permits are hard to come by, and I got them way before this thing started, and you got to get a month in months in advance. They only allow, I think, 30 people a day, and we walked through this incredible canyon with trees and crazy rock formations. There are these cliffs and a creek that runs the entire way, and I've been there before a couple times with Heidi, just for a day trip, but never overnight, but by going with Benny, I got this different perspective. See, Benny is a rock climber, so he sees things that I would never have noticed. Like, I look up and see this beautiful rock formation and this cool-looking cliff, but Benny sees that, and he sees handholds and anchor points and rock walls that just beg for somebody to climb up them. I mean, personally, all I can think about is, okay, what if I have one of those anchors or cliffs that come loose when I'm 30 or 40 or 50 feet in the air and I'm falling to my death here in the canyon where nobody can retrieve my body from, which would make Heidi really irritated, but that's all I can think of, but not Benny. Um, he sees this differently than I do. So I get to learn a little bit about rock climbing, and I have a gimpy shoulder and probably another 40-plus pounds to lose, so I've not done much rock climbing, and there's not a ton of hope in me doing much rock climbing, but if you've ever done any rock climbing, uh, and sometimes you do this on a ropes course too, there's a key moment while you're climbing, you're strapped in, you're ready to go, here's how it works, you say to your instructor or you say to your climbing partner, on belay. Now, on belay, that's a French phrase, which means I've lost my ever-loving mind. Thank you, Jim. One laugh in the room, one laugh in the room. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Troy. Thank you, Troy. I really need a laugh track. No, um, on belay, to belay a rope means it may, it may, you make it absolutely secure. You fasten it to something immovable, then it's wrapped around this little carabiner, and then when you say on belay, it means 
Okay, I'm now connected to a power, an anchor that will keep me from falling. I'm moving now from just receiving information to actually taking action. To offer my body as a living sacrifice, then, would mean that I trust and trust my body, my life, to what I say I believe will hold me. I am on belay. So, on belay, you say, this is not Speedy Gonzalez, on belay, on belay, Ibrahim. Two years, two years of Spanish in high school, that's all I got, right? No, it's on belay. I think Noah even put it up on the screen. Yeah, it's there. Okay, good. Uh, so you say on belay, the instructor says belay on, and then you, the climber, say climbing, and the instructor says climb on. Thank you, Jim, right? And then you're on your way. Now, the reality is you or I could listen to a lecture about the safety of carabiners and anchors and ropes a thousand times. We could repeat the whole thing back to someone by memory, but that alone will not remove fear from your body the first time that you're on the ropes climbing up a cliff. I mean, information is important. Don't get me wrong here. It's good to know information. It's indispensable. Because if you don't have the information, you're not even going to go on the ropes. But the information alone is not enough. Are you, are you with me here? Once you say, on belay, and you say it often enough, then you offer your body, your being, if you take action enough, then it's just a matter of time. Even if you're really bad at doing it, even if you're scared out of your mind, it actually doesn't matter. It's just a matter of time because doing it over and over will build something, change something, make trust appear in you. Because again, information alone doesn't bring about transformation. It takes intentional Practice. Verse 9, right? Right here on the screen, verse 9. See that again right there. We have to put into practice what we've been taught. And this is true in spiritual formation in general. Way too many people and way too many churches sit week after week and fill up huge notebooks with pages of sermon notes from sermon after sermon after sermon and class after class after class, but somehow... They remain just as anxious or worried or angry or joyless as they were before. And I don't think it's supposed to be that way. And I wonder if maybe one reason that we're not living differently, despite all the good, true information, the truth that transforms, I wonder if we're not putting into practice the information we're learning. These things that cooperate with God's process to bring about our transformation. We aren't actually testing it out, trying it on, putting it into practice. And I just want to say, Hope family, let's not do that here. Not in this beautiful church family. Let's be a people who move from just receiving good information or a good talk to people who actually take action, put it into practice. See, friends, life is the ropes course, and every moment of your life, every moment of it is a chance to learn from the Holy Spirit how to live in the peace of God. And as a child of God, you have already been given um, a mind that is saturated with the mercy, the goodness. You are a new creation. You've been given competence. You've been given the character of God. It's there. You know about it. You've heard about it. You've read the scriptures. You've heard the sermons. We have the information, and now we've got to say, on belay, we need to take action. We need to say, Holy Spirit, I will trust you as my anchor. I'll do what you call me to do, even though I am feeling 
so afraid right now. Again, friends, information is not enough. Hearing messages is not enough. We need to engage in certain practices. And I'm going to talk more about just a couple simple practices next week. And as we go to our closing song here, I just want to give you two practical things and two practical ways to apply this message, this teaching for today from the scripture. Two practical ways to practice it. First, simple one right here. Just take this Philippians 4, chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Just take this passage this week and read it through several times, maybe several times a day. And look at and practice what it invites us to do. Last night, I could not sleep. <laughs> I could not sleep. Um, lots of stuff on my mind, trying to figure out the ending of this message, knowing I was going to go a little long. We had a lot of other things happening. I had this anxiety, and I thought, oh, what if I practice <laughs> taking this anxiety to God in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, giving gratitude to God that I get to be one of the pastors here at this amazing church. Just so grateful for that. That turned my anxiety down a little more. Presenting my request to him. Hearing him say he'd be with me in this. Fixing my mind then on Jesus. Fixing my mind on Jesus and knowing that he's with me. That anxiety level started to drop. And wouldn't you know, this time anyway, I actually went to sleep simply by practicing what I was about to come and talk to you guys about doing, practicing gratitude, asking God for what I need. And um, so that's the first thing. Just go into this, practice this. It's very simple. Just read the passage and, and enter into it. Do a little study right there. Just simply practice it and see if there are any changes that you notice in your life as you engage in these practices. That's the first thing. The second thing, again, very simple. We mentioned it before. I want you to consider joining Heidi and I for this Get Your Life Back online group that's going to be meeting Tuesday nights, 6.30 p.m., starting June 2nd for six weeks. And in that group, we will be engaging in several simple practices. We're going to learn together. We're going to grow together in staying connected to God in some very simple, practical ways. And friends, part of why I want to do that study with you is that I haven't gone way ahead and like learned it and done it. So I want to be in it together, learning together. So join us for that as well. Friends, God offers you and I um, to be able to belay the rope of our life to him. He, he says, and he means for us to know that we can be absolutely secure we fasten the rope of our life to something immovable, a perfect anchor. And then when we say on belay, what it means is, I know. God, I know that connected to you, I'm connected. I'm anchored to a power that will keep me from falling. So now instead of just having the information, I'm going to move from just information to actually taking action to moving into trust. Because friends, pandemic or not, life is a mixed bag and we can go through this one and only life anxious and worried, or there's this option to live this life knowing peace, being anchored to a steadfast, steady God of peace. My friends, life's too short, <laughs> and joy is too good, and God is too wonderful. Your soul is too valuable, 
and you matter too much to throw away even a single moment more of your life to anxious striving. Friends, we can choose peace. We can learn to love it and cherish it and train and practice it. And tune in next week where we talk about how we'll practice it together because you and I can practice fixing our eyes on Jesus, trusting him to be the anchor that holds us in any storm.